Let's turn over to the book of Exodus chapter two. And you know, everything that's been shared so far, really, uh, you could take every one of these messages, Arthur and Barry and mine last night, they all really are doing the same thing. It's just about that God has a plan for your life, but it's not gonna just come to pass. You have to grow into it. As Barry was talking about, you have to know God is the father. It's through relationship. We're trying to share with you things that have impacted our lives. And as we share it with others, it's impacting their lives too. And so last night I was talking about how that God created us to be a success. And there is a way to succeed God's way. And I talked about a lot of things. We tried to redefine what success is and change people's attitude from the way that the world thinks. But basically my definition of success is Romans 12, one and two, to become a living sacrifice, to just commit yourself to God, to have a vibrant relationship with God. And then step two is renew your mind. And I had somebody come up this morning and say, how do you renew your mind? It's through the word of God. And of course, what we're doing here this week, the reason you've come is to renew your mind, to have God speak to you. And it's not just conferences. A conference can make a huge impact on your life and get you pushed or started in a direction. But it's what you do in between conferences. It's every day is what really counts. And you know, the people that come to Bible college, one of the things that happens is you just learn a systematic way of, you know, five days a week, four hours a day, you are sitting under teaching like what you've heard today. And you hear people talking about the goodness of God and what God's plans for your life are and how he can use you and it changes you. You get transformed. That word transform in Romans 12 too is the word that we get, uh, it's a metamorpho in the Greek. It's the word we get metamorphosis from. In the same way that a little worm or a caterpillar, I had somebody correct me, worms don't transform, it's caterpillars. But you know, to me, a worm and a caterpillar are pretty close, amen. But anyway, little caterpillars just transform. They have this metamorphosis and they become, they were something that was earthbound and now they are able to fly and they're beautiful. If you want that kind of change, it's by the renewing of your mind. And the number one thing that God does to renew our mind is the word of God. Now, praise God for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit quickens the word of God. Praise God for fellowship, but really fellowship, if it's not around the word of God and if you aren't speaking God's truth, it's not gonna change you. There's a lot of things that God uses in our life, but the word of God is the by far uh, biggest thing that will ever happen to you. The biggest thing to change your life is the understanding and the different worldview that the word of God gives you. You know, as Arthur was uh, speaking today, I was thinking of uh, Proverbs 23, seven. He didn't use that verse, but I know he had a short time. He was talking as fast as he could, but Proverbs 23, seven, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Your life is going the way of your thoughts. And if you don't like the way your life is going, most people pray and ask God to change it. They will beg, they will come to a meeting like this and want somebody to wave their hand over them. And even though you can be touched and there can be good things happen, the way you get transformed is by the renewing of your mind. It's by changing the way you think. Your life is going the direction of your dominant thoughts. If you want change, change the way you think and then your life will change. I've got an entire series on this entitled Effortless Change. I've got a book, a CD set, DVD set on that. I tell you, it would transform you. It is really that simple. It's not easy. The hardest thing you'll ever do is quit drinking the Kool-Aid of this world, quit following their opinion. We are inundated with stuff today more than any other generation of believers has ever been inundated. We have all of the junk, the filth, the trash, the negativity, the false predictions, the doomsayers. We got all of this stuff piped into our home and you are more aware of ungodliness and world views outside of the Bible than any generation of Christians that have ever lived. 
And I tell you, it's as simple as just renewing your mind to what the Word of God says, seeing things through the Word. But that's one of the hardest things you'll ever do is to unplug from this world and all of the distractions and the things that choke the Word of God and get to where you give God's Word first place. And because we're in such a deficit at this already, and most people don't even realize where the problems are coming from. That's the reason that things like the Bible school are so good is because it is just a two to three year immersion into the Word of God. And I guarantee you, it will change your life. You can't help but change. Wendell often says, you know, if you come, even if you come to Bible college and you don't want to receive anything, you just come and sit here and I guarantee you, it'll change you more than you realize. Now, if you open up your heart and embrace it, it's even better. But you just show up and sit here and it'll have an impact on you just being immersed in the Word of God. Anyway, I'm trying to get into these scriptures. What I want to share is about Moses. And this goes along with that teaching entitled How to Find, Follow, and Fulfill God's Will. I'm going to give a real quick uh, thing. We took my session for all the advertisements. And so I've only got a short period of time. But uh, I want to illustrate some things that I was talking about last night. And one of the things out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 was that, you know, God is going to try every man's work of what sort it is, not what size it is. And even if you were to find what God's vocation for your life is, but if you aren't a living sacrifice, you would blow the whole thing. I want to use Moses as an example of this. Here in uh, Exodus chapter two, and just for time's sake, I'm going to skip over some of the verses, but in, uh, you know, he was put, it was co commanded by Pharaoh to kill all of the male children. But Moses' parents, especially, it talks about his mother here, Jochebed, uh, she saw that he was a goodly child and she decided to go ahead and violate the king's commandment, which could have meant death. And she raised him for three months. And when she couldn't hide him any longer, she took, she made a little basket out of reeds and put pitch in it and put her son into this basket and just stuck him into the Nile to see what would happen. You know, that's an act of desperation, but it's also an, a great act of faith to put your three month old baby in a basket and believe that somehow or another, this was gonna turn out good. And as it turned out, Pharaoh's daughter came down to the water to bathe and they saw the basket and they found the baby in it and she immediately recognized this must be one of the Hebrew uh, children. And she took Moses and raised Moses as her own son and actually hired Jochebed, the mother, to nurse Moses. So this is pretty awesome. Here's a situation where God's commanded to kill any child and instead of him being killed, the person who gave the command, his daughter raises him in the lap of luxury with the best of all of the education. Man, God just supernaturally turned around and then paid the mother to nurse her own child and raise her own child. That's pretty awesome. But I want to just focus on this part in verse 10. It says, and the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water, the name Moses means to draw out. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand and when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he, he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt, dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. And anyway, this is where he met uh, Jethro. He wound up marrying Zipporah and he spent 40 years in the wilderness before God appeared to him in chapter three. But let me just real quickly say that, you know, most people today are more influenced by entertainment, by Hollywood than they are by the word of God. And I'm sure that there's people sitting right in this room that your impressions of Moses and the story of Moses are more influenced by the story of the 10 commandments 
than you are by the word of God. And you know, it just amazes me when they make these quote unquote biblical movies, why don't they just stick with what the Bible says? Man, the Bible is better than anybody's imagination could make something up, but they always, for some reason, change it. And they have changed this to where in the movie, The Ten Commandments, Moses was just a nice guy. He didn't have a clue. He was a Jew. He didn't know he was a Hebrew. He just went out and he was a nice guy and tried to separate these two guys, wound up killing an Egyptian. And then he, uh, you know, Pharaoh banished him into the desert and stuff. That's not how it happened at all. Now, this doesn't give that much information and I can understand how there is some room for interpretation, but the Bible comments on itself. The Bible will explain itself if you'll study the word instead of just watch the movies. Look over here in Acts chapter seven and let me share with you what uh, Stephen said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Right before he was stoned to death, he was speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and recounting Jewish history. They accused him of being against the word of God. And so he was sharing with them, here's what the word says. And he was using all of these things to point unto Jesus. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he said this. So this was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter seven, verse 20, it says, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. You know, again, here Moses in the third chapter of the book of Exodus, when the Lord appeared unto him, he says, Lord, I can't speak. God, I don't, I'm not able to speak. This right here says he was uh, learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Did you know this is the truth? Moses was basically just trying to dodge what God was asking him to do because he was so aware of his own insecurities. And he's no different than a lot of us when God tells us to do something. God, I can't do that. When the truth is you can do it. You can do anything God tells you to do. Moses was just had this low opinion of himself after this massive failure that he had, he just didn't see himself able to fulfill God's will. So this is the truth right here. He was a mighty man in words and in deeds. So when he told the Lord, I can't speak, he was lying. He was trying to you know, discredit himself so that maybe that would disqualify him from being used. And in verse 23, it says, and when he was full 40 years old, do you know this is the only place in scripture that tells us how long I mean, how old he was when he killed the Egyptian. Also, it says in this passage, how long he spent in the wilderness. This is imperative that you understand these things. This is the reason that you need to study the word of God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Most people have a really casual approach to the word of God. And you are not going to get the richness of the word of God unless you study, unless you put some effort into it. This says he was 40 years old and it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. This makes it clear that he knew who he was. He knew that he was a Jew. He wasn't in the dark about this. I believe that Jochebed during the time, she nursed him for approximately four years. And during that time, I guarantee you, she instilled some things into him and he knew that he was a Jew and it was just miraculous that he was brought up in Pharaoh's household. So it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. And look at verse 25, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. This is important. This says that Moses knew what the call on his life was. He knew his vocation. He knew what God's will for him was. And when he killed this Egyptian, he was trying to bring deliverance to his people, the Jews. Now this is important because this changes everything. Instead of him just being a nice guy who just fell into this and somehow or another fate and the sovereignty of God made these things happen. He knew God's will for his life, but he tried to bring it to pass in his own ability. That's what Arthur was expressing when God, he knew God had called him to the ministry. 
but he was doing it in the flesh, in his own ability. And it led to him sitting there with a gun, nearly killing himself. I'm telling you, there are a lot of people that somehow or another, they stumble on to God's vocation and call for their life, but they don't have God's plan for getting it accomplished. They're trying to do it in their own strength and power. And that is a recipe for total disaster. You know, I've heard a statistic from Focus on the Family that 80% of people who enter into full-time ministry quit within five years. And out of the 20% that are left, 80% of those are burned out and ready to quit. So if you do those figures, that means there's only 4% of people who feel called to full-time ministry who successfully are still enjoying ministry after five years. That is unbelievable. And I believe it's because people have a desire and God reveals to them what he wants them to do, but then they go out and try and accomplish it in their own power. I tell you, not only the ministry, but anything. If God really calls you to something, he's going to call you to something that's bigger than yourself, something that's more than you. And I guarantee you, it's a recipe for disaster for you to just try and do things in your own strength and power. And this is what Moses tried to do. Moses knew what God's will for his life was, but he supposed that it was going to work out because of who he was. And did you know, if most of us were in his position, we would have supposed the same thing. Think about this. Here, he was born in a time when all the male children were supposed to be killed. We don't know, it didn't give the stats, but I suspect that thousands and thousands of male children were killed. And Moses just supernaturally survived, was put into a basket, floated right to Pharaoh's daughter. It was miraculous the way that Pharaoh's daughter is the one that took him up. And she raised him and he was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. And I've actually read secular accounts. Uh, Moses is a historical figure outside of the Bible. And in that movie, The Ten Commandments, they show all of the Ethiopians coming in and dancing and bringing all of these spices and peacocks and stuff. That's a historical account. Moses conquered the Ethiopians. He was a mighty general and brought the greatest amount of spoil into Egypt that they had ever had. So Moses was a powerful man. He was a warrior. He was skilled. He was taught all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. Did you know that the Egyptians could embalm their people in ways that you, they still have flesh and hair on them 4,000 years later. We can't do that today. They actually did brain surgery. They did eye surgery, removed cataracts. Did you know that they did things that we haven't figured out how to do today? I believe in evolution, but not us coming from a one-celled animal to this complex thing. I believe that, man, God created man awesome, and we have evolved downward. We're relatively ignorant today compared to what people used to be. And that breaks the evolutionary cycle. But I guarantee you, these people were sharp. They still hadn't figured out how they built the pyramids and how they did all of these things. They've come up with theories, but did you know that these huge pyramids, I mean, without any of the modern things that we have are accurate within, I mean, just millimeters of being perfect. They can't figure out how these people did those things. Moses had every bit of that wisdom and knowledge on the inside of him. He was a powerful guy. And when he knew that he was a Jew and that God had called him to bring deliverance to the Jews, he just supposed that it was going to be through his military might. He was one of the most uh, important, influential men in the entire nation. And he was going to do it through his position, through his clout, with his ability. I'm sure he thought, God, what a wise choice to choose me. I can see the wisdom of this. I am infinitely qualified. Who could you use as well as me? The only thing wrong with that logic is that the ways of God aren't the ways of men. God wasn't going to use military might. It was going to be in a supernatural fashion. And Moses blew the whole thing because he was depending on his own power. You know, one of the best things that'll ever happen to you is to just crash and burn. To be sitting there with a gun saying it isn't worth living. That's one of the best things that could ever happen to you. You come to the end of yourself is where you find the beginning of God. You know, a friend of mine 
He came here many years ago and he had been a policeman and he was this tough guy who could do anything. And he got into full-time ministry. He moved here and he started this business, a water purification business. And within a short period of time, it was terrible. And he was so stressed out over it. He was having heart problems. His heart was racing. And we were getting into a service one night and he came and motioned for me and he, he and his wife were there and they were just crying. And he said, I've got to talk to you. And even though the service started, I told him to just keep singing until I get back. And I went into a back room and talked to this guy and he was just crying and telling about how his partner had done this to him. His business was failing. He's losing his house. He's losing his health. They hadn't been able to eat. And he just says, I've, I've come to the end of myself. He says, I can't go on. And he was crying and I said, great. I said, I've been praying for this. And boy, it's just like I slapped him. He stopped and he says, what are you saying? And I said, this is the best place you've ever been in. I said, now God can do something. You know, nobody likes that place, but I'm telling you, it's a healthy place to be to come to the end of yourself. And sure enough, uh, did you know that his life has turned around? He's got one of the most successful businesses in Colorado Springs. It has been one of the best things that ever happened to him to just come to a crisis place to where I can't do it. The truth is none of us can do it. Some of you think you can and you're deceived. And you say, well, you don't know I'm successful. Again, you are defining success like the dictionary, the accomplishment of some goal, fame or prosperity. But man, if you don't know God and if you aren't doing what God has called you to do and doing it the way God called you to do it, then you're a failure. Failure. It doesn't matter what size it is. It's a sort it is. It's whether or not it's pure. It's whether or not it's what God called you to do. And so Moses, he just supposed all of these things. Look who I am. Certainly God's going to use me. And he cost himself 40 years in the wilderness. You know, I haven't got time to develop these things completely. I'm going to have to just say some things. You can get this teaching and, and get all of the details of it. But I don't believe Moses had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. You know, here's another thing about the show, The Ten Commandments. As Moses is heading out into the desert with nothing but his Hebrew robe on and his little staff, then the narrator comes on, so Moses, and they, they have these awesome voices. You know, so Moses heads into the wilderness where there's scorpions and vipers and where men of God are. And they make some kind of a deal like that. This wilderness experience was God's way of making Moses the person he was supposed to be. If Moses would have cooled his jets and have listened to God, he could have stayed in the palace. It's Moses disobedience and self-will that cost him 40 years in the wilderness and not God. Likewise, it's not God who's causing all of the wilderness experiences in our lives. We do this sometimes by well-intentioned. Moses wasn't trying to accomplish the devil's will. He was trying to bring the will of God to pass, but he was going to do it in his own strength with his own wisdom. God, I can do this my way. And that's what cost him. You may be a good person. You may love God and you may have been praying that, oh, God would bless your endeavors and stuff. But if you're in a wilderness experience, the vast majority of times it's because you created it because you weren't following God's will. If Moses would have just kept his cool, he could have stayed in the palace instead of in the pit. That was his self-will that caused all of this likewise with us. And look over here in Genesis chapter 15. This is an important passage of scripture. Again, you aren't going to get this revelation if you don't study the word of God. You got to study things and look at things. Here in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham made a covenant with God. This is where God cut a covenant with him and literally passed between these pieces. He had these animals separated into two pieces and the Lord, a smoking, uh, smoking uh, what? Furnace and a burning flax or something, a lamp passed between these parts. And God cut covenant with Abraham and he told him right here in verse 13, Genesis 15, 13, he said, he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. 
And also that nation whom they will serve will I judge and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. So God gave a prophecy here that the children of Israel were going to be in bondage, afflicted for 400 years. Now look in Exodus chapter 12. This is after Moses had had his encounter with God. He came back. He did the 10 plagues upon the nation and they thrust them out. And it says in Exodus chapter 14, and in verse 40, it says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass that the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So this says it was 430 years. God had prophesied 400 years of bondage. Somebody says, well, that was only 400 years in the land of Egypt. Actually, the children of Israel only spent a little over 120 years in Egypt. I can prove that to you. I hadn't got time to do it right now. Uh, Galatians chapter four says this. It says the law, which was 430 years after the promise. The promise is speaking about Genesis chapter 15, verse six. So it was a total of 430 years from Genesis chapter 15, six to the Exodus and there was only 120 years of that or so that they were in bondage. When it refers to that they were, uh, you know, in a land that is not there and they shall be afflicted for 400 years, that was talking about the whole time that they were in the land of Israel before it was theirs, when Abraham was, uh, you know, just wandering and stuff. So anyway, I hadn't got time to explain that further. You can take it as andeology, but it's right. I'm telling you. And so the reason this is significant is to tell you that if it was 430 years until the Exodus happened, if you subtract the 40 years in the wilderness that Acts chapter seven talks about from the 430, that means that uh, when Moses killed the Egyptian, it was only the 390th year of their captivity. He was 10 years premature trying to bring God's will to pass. And I tell you, here's another great lesson. And that is that it takes time for what God has ordained you to do to come to pass in your life. And very few people are willing to do this. I was teaching on this exact passage of scripture in our Bible college a number of years back. And there was a young guy there who was just a, an evangelist. He witnessed to anything that moved. He was actually the speaker that the students elected for the promotion from the first year to the second year. And man, he was an awesome guy, super talented, loved God, zealous for the Lord. And I was teaching on this exact thing. And I was making the point that if, Ab if uh, Moses would have just been patient for 10 years until the timing of God came to pass, he would have avoided 40 years in the wilderness, the children of Israel would have avoided 30 years extra bondage that was caused by his self-will. And I was making the point that 10 years would have been the shortest period of time for any major figure in the Old Testament to ever get usable. With uh, David, it was a minimum of 13 years. Some people think it could have been longer with, uh, you could just go on and on and on. And I mean, 10 years would have been a short period of time for preparation. And I was making the point that you can't microwave your ministry. You can't just wave your hand and go from zero to a thousand all at once. That's a crash. That's not acceleration. And I said that there is a growth process this young guy got mad and stood up in class and challenged me. And he gave a stat on how many people are dying every day and going to hell without Christ. And he says, I hadn't got 10 years. He says, I've come to this school and in two years I'm out of here. And he says, I, God had led him or put it on his heart. He was going to lead a million people to the Lord. He was going to get a million people born again. And he said, I hadn't got time. People are dying and going to hell and I've got to get out there right now. And so I challenged him and I said, your, your zeal is good, but I can guarantee you, you just cannot circumvent the truth of the word of God. It takes time for us to be, get usable. There has to be a renewing of our mind. And he got so mad over it, he quit the school and he had to go into ministry. And you know what? That's been 15 years ago. 
I've never heard from him since. And I can guarantee you, if he had led a million people to the Lord, I'd have heard about it. <laughs> he might have had a good desire. And we have all kinds of reasons for saying, no, I'm not going to follow what the word says. But the scripture says not to put a novice in a position of leadership and authority. And we circumvent that all the time. We take people who are athletes and because they're well known, they get born again. We want to put them on the, on the television shows and put them on the magazine covers and use them. And it's in direct opposition to what the word of God says. But we say, well, we just need it so bad. They've already got this following. Let's use them for a testimony. Nobody gets born again mature. You have to mature in the Lord as Barry was teaching you. you need, what do you want to be when you grow up? You do have to grow up. You don't put babies in leadership. I don't care how cute they are. You just don't do it. And yet the body of Christ is doing this. We put people in leadership. We put people on boards because they're president of a bank because they've got all of these natural things and they may be as dumb as a hammer spiritually, but we put them in leadership and don't consider their spiritual qualifications. In a sense, this is what Moses tried to do. He knew God's will for him and he was just circumventing it. If he knew about this prophecy, if he realized he was 10 years premature, he just chose to ignore it because the situation was so urgent. You know, I don't know for sure what he's thinking, but he could have been thinking this. He could have been thinking, let's just use a figure. I'm just pulling this out of the air, but let's say that there was 10,000 Jews dying per year who were praying for their deliverance based on the prophecy that was given to Abraham. So 10,000 people a year dying with their prayers unanswered under terrible bondage. Moses could have sat there and have thought, if I wait 10 years, then that's gonna be 100,000 people who die with their prayers being unanswered. And he could have just chosen to have said, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and God, I can do it now. I've got this power, I've got this clout and position. And so he just tried to bring it to pass. That kind of reasoning happens all the time. But you know what you can't count is these negative statistics. Like if, I, if my interpretation of all of this is correct and if Moses actually delayed the deliverance of the Jews for 30 years because he was 40 years in the wilderness because of his self-will. Well, then take uh, 10,000 people dying per year times 40. And then now instead of having 100,000 people who possibly could have died, what would that be? 400,000? Or anyway, 40 times 10 400,000 Jews that died with their prayers unanswered and 30, let's see, what did that be? 300,000 of those died because of Moses' self-will. It was God's will to bring them out 10 years premature or prior to that, but they, they missed it because Moses was self-will trying to accomplish God's will on his own. Boy, this is re being reproduced in our day and age. You know, again, I'm relating a lot of things to the Bible college. I know not everybody's going to come to the Bible college. Some of you are going to miss God and not come. But um, I just can't help use this as an example. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Man, I forgot where I was going with that. It was a great point. But anyway, here's, where, here's what I was going to say. We tell people all the time that preparation time is never wasted time. You can't prepare too much. You can prepare too little, but you can't prepare too much. Preparation time is never wasted time. If Moses would have just kept following God, he had a relationship with God to the degree that he knew what God's will for his life was. So he knew God, but he was self-willed. And because of that, he just tried to speed up. He tried to microwave his ministry. And all that did was destroy things. You know, I was in ministry for 32 years before I actually started my ministry. The Lord spoke to me. I think I mentioned that last night. In 1999 and told me I, in 2000, I was just beginning my ministry. 32 years of ministry. And I just got started. That's discouraging in one way, but in another way, it's really encouraging because I'd seen great things happen. And if I was just getting started, it was going to be better. 
But it took me 32 years from the time I started doing what God called me to do until I started seeing any success at it. And you know what? It's going to be the same for you. It may not be 32 years. I believe you could shorten that, but you, there is going to be a, a progression, a period of time. And look over in the uh, 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. Or actually, let's go, let's go back to chapter four first. I'm out of time. I just need, let me just say these things and you go look them up later. In the fourth chapter is where, the third chapter is where God appeared unto Moses and told him to come and bring deliverance to the Jews. And Moses said, I can't. Five different times he told the Lord, he says, I can't do it. They won't listen to me. I can't do it. What a contrast from 40 years before when God just gave him a word about you are going to bring deliverance to the Jews and God, G Moses took that word and made a paragraph out of it. I mean, Moses was self-willed. Moses was self-confident. You just get me introduced, God, and I can handle it from here. But 40 years later, here he is talking to God directly and he says, I can't, I can't, I can't. You know what? For 40 years, God had been bringing Moses to the end of himself. And Moses finally got the message. And Moses finally realized that, God, I can't do this on my own. That's a good place to come, but you can't stop there. And God actually got mad at Moses in the fourth chapter because finally he says, I made your mouth. I can make it talk. And he, he got mad at him. And in the fourth chapter, he finally told Moses, what's that in your hand? And he says, a rod. It was just a stick. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And when he did, it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. Now remember, here's another truth that you don't get reading just the Exodus account. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Moses. And it says, he fled Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. In Exodus chapter two, it says he feared and said, surely this is known. But he didn't fear the king he feared that, uh-oh, I've blown it. I've messed up. He feared that he had wasted what God had given him. You have to put those two together. It says he, he fled, not fearing the wrath of the king, and he endured as seeing him who was invisible. The word endure doesn't mean that he was just out there in the desert saying, God, leave me alone, as the Ten Commandments movie depicts it. He was persevering. He was believing that, God, you called me to bring deliverance I made a major mistake, but I still believe that your will is going to come to pass. He was still believing God and looking for God. And man, I wish I had time to share with you in the third chapter how that God waited until he turned aside to see the burning bush before he spoke to him. He didn't talk to him first. Moses, if he hadn't have been looking for God, if he hadn't have been looking and saying, man, this is unusual. Maybe this is God. He could have missed God. There's people who are missing God because they aren't looking for God. Moses was enduring. He was looking for God. And here he was in the presence of God. And when his stick turned into a snake, the thing that he had been seeking for for 40 years, he was willing to flee it because of fear of that snake. Now, the reason that's significant to me is to show you that Moses wasn't a snake hangler. <laughs> Moses was willing to forsake everything he had been after for 40 years to get away from that snake. And the Lord spoke to him and told him to come back and pick the snake up by the tail. And you know, even if you do handle snakes, you don't grab them by the tail because it can turn and bite you and kill you. You have to grab them right behind the jaws. To pick it up by the tail means that Moses was putting his life on the line. And you know what? Moses didn't have the benefit of knowing what the last half of Exodus 4.4 said. He hadn't written it yet. He didn't know that that snake was going to turn back into a stick. When he picked it up by the tail, did you know that in his way of thinking, God, I'm going to obey you this time. I'm going to do things your way if it kills me. I'd rather obey you and die than to do my own thing. That's, he had been in Bush University for 40 years. good old BU. And I guarantee you, this was his final exam. God says, all right, are you ready? Pick it up by the tail. And to his credit, he picked it up by the tail, not knowing that he, he might die, but it turned back into a stick. 
And you know, later in that chapter, chapter four, I believe it's verse 20, it says Moses rose and took his wife and his children and the rod of God in his hand and returned unto Egypt. When God asked him, what do you have? He says, it's a rod, it's a stick. It was Moses' stick. It wasn't any stronger than Moses. If he had hit a rock with it, it had broken the stick. But after he threw it down and picked it up by the tail, meaning he wasn't in control, but he literally was yielding himself to God's commands, even if it killed him. Now it was the rod of God. It was God's stick. And Moses used that stick to hold out over the waters. They turned to blood. He held it over the land and lice came up. He called frogs forth. He called fire out of a clear sky and hail or hail and fire that ran across the ground. He struck the firstborn. He did all of these things. He did all of these miraculous things because it was no longer his stick. It was God's. You know, to me, that's symbolic that God is asking you to become a living sacrifice. You lay your life down and nine out of 10 times, I'd say probably 10 out of 10 times, when you make this commitment to become a living sacrifice, it's gonna look like it's gonna kill you. Man, this is the end of any success that I've ever dreamed of. How's my life ever gonna to amount to anything? God's gonna send me to some you know, grass hut in Africa. God's gonna do something. He, and that's the way that people think. And you know what? It looks like that your life is over but you pick it back up by the tail and it turns back into a stick. You know, if other people would have seen that stick after this and they, if they would have taken a shaving off of it and sent it for a sample, I'm sure it still would have been whatever kind of wood it was in the first place. I bet you there wasn't any physical difference in that stick. Just like when you lay your life down and you go home and you tell people, man, I made myself a living sacrifice. I'm no, my life's not my own. God is now in control of me. The people who know you best will look at you and you know what? You still look the same. And they aren't going to value this experience because they weren't there. They didn't see it happen. You know, when I turned my life over to the Lord, nobody, nobody thought it was God. Everybody thought I missed God. Everybody criticized me. I lost nearly every friend I had. But they weren't there. It's understandable why they, I mean, my own relatives. You know, they thought I was crazy, all except my sister. And they thought I was crazy. And man, they were criticized. My brother called me a cult for many, many years. And you know, they were here last year. They saw this building before it was complete. They were also here at the grand opening. And um, they stayed in the lot. And now that there are physical things that they can see, my brother in his own redneck way, apologized. He never said, I'm sorry, but he says, you know, I've said some really bad things about you and I was wrong. You were right. And God's blessing is on you. They have to see something physical, but before there was anything physical to see, nobody believed in this and everybody, it just was, you know, I just look like the same guy, but man, I've had a relationship with God and God has infused me with this power. And Moses took that rod and went down and did all of these miracles. And I'm just summarizing this real quickly. I wish I had more time. But in the 14th chapter of Exodus, they come to the Red Sea. The Lord told them to encamp there. And he says, I'm setting a trap for Pharaoh. He will say you're entangled in the wilderness and he will come down and I'll, I'll give you victory over your enemies. And so Moses knew that this was God's will. He obeyed. And here was the Red Sea on one side, two mountains on the other side. So it was like a box canyon. And Pharaoh, sure enough, said, man, they are entangled in the wilderness. So he brought all of his armies out and Moses stood up. When they saw the enemies coming, they wanted to elect a new chief and defect to the Egyptians because they thought they were all going to die. And Moses stood up and said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Because God had promised him that this was going to be victory over the Egyptians. It sounds good. But then the next verse, this is in Exodus chapter 14, I believe it's around verse 15, 16. Right after he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That just stopped the critics. They all stopped. And then the next verse, the Lord says, why do you call unto me? Get up and command the people to go forward. Moses told them to stand still. God said, command them to go forward. And he says, take that rod that's in your hand. You know what had happened? Moses 
At one time had been so self-willed that all God had to do was give him a little glimpse of what his will for his life was and Moses tried to accomplish it in himself. That cost him 40 years in the wilderness and after 40 years in the wilderness, he had learned, God, I can't. And God had to give him this supernatural sign of that rod turning into a snake and then back into a rod. He also gave him a sign where he put his hand inside of his clothes and it came out leprous and then he did it again and it came out normal. And God had to do something to prove to Moses that he would be with him and help him. And so Moses became confident in God. But then he was reverting back to, oh God, I can't do it. Because he said, stand still. And the next verse is, why are you crying out unto me? I'm reading a little bit between the lines, but I believe that what happened is he stopped the crowd. They no longer were going to overthrow him, but the Egyptians were still coming. The circumstances hadn't changed. And apparently Moses must have fallen on his face and started saying, oh God, what are we going to do? Oh, and he was crying out to God, begging God to do something. And God says, why are you crying unto me? Take the authority that I've given you. Take that rod that I gave you and hold it out over the sea. And he was reverting back to feeling inadequate. I'm telling you, I have, when you find God's will, you never just figure it out and you do it perfectly. That's not how it works. You have a tendency, I have a tendency to be an introvert and to think, God, I can't do these things. And oh God, why did you choose me? But God, I've had an experience where God has shown me that he loves me and he gave me authority, just like what Barry was saying. Man, when I understood righteousness, immediately I began to start understanding authority. That was a great word. And, and so I've had, I have a tendency to go this way. God has brought me back this way. And then every once in a while, I'll get to seeing so much success. I'll thank God I'm really awesome. <laughs> Man, this is working good. And about that time, I'll mess up big time. And that helps bring me back this direction. You don't ever just go perfectly the way God wants you to. You go more like this. And it's just constantly the Lord bringing you back. Moses had been so powerful in the land of Egypt, but here he was reverting back to, oh God, I can't do it and praying. And God said, get up and use what I've given you. What's that in your hand? Take that rod. And if Moses hadn't held the rod out over that uh, Red Sea, it wouldn't have parted. He had to use his authority. And then later on, you find where Moses struck the rock with the rod and waters gushed out and fed all of the Jews, three million Jews and all of their animals. The second time he was going to do this and the Lord told him to speak to the rock. And Moses instead said, you rebels, must I fetch water out of the rock for you? And Moses took his rod and struck the rock and nothing happened. So he struck it a second time and the waters came out, but then God said, because you didn't believe me and honor me, you will not enter into the promised land. Moses was 120 years old, 80 years. He had gone through the wilderness and been leading the children of Israel. And now here he is being punished and not allowed to enter into the promised land because he struck the rock. And I'm aware that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it says they drank of that rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. And striking the rock twice is similar to Hebrews chapter 11 about you can't crucify Jesus a second time. I'm aware that there's symbolism involved here and I'm not denying that. And that makes a great point and it's a great message. But I thought, God, this seems a little severe to keep Moses after 120 years from entering into the promised land because he broke symbolism. I said in Exodus chapter 32, you got so mad at the Jews, you wanted to kill them all. And you told Moses, get out of my way so that I can kill them. And I'll start over with you. I said, you were willing to kill them all. All Moses did was hit the rock. That seems to me like that's unjust. But you, if you understand what I've been saying, you know what this was? This was Moses coming back into this self-confidence, uh, exerting himself. He thought striking the rock that's what worked the first time. He thought that would be more dramatic than speaking to the rock the way that God told him to. And if God hadn't have dealt with that self-will in Moses, then Moses could have cost the children of Israel another 40 years in the wilderness. Who knows what the results was? 
It was much more than just breaking symbolism. This was him again deciding that he would do what God told him to do, but his way of doing it was better than God. And that had cost Moses 40 years in the wilderness, the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage. And I guarantee you, God wasn't willing to let that go unchecked. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there is a great lesson in all of this for us about how to succeed. We've not only got to find out God's will, that's absolutely essential, but you've got to find out God's way of accomplishing it. And you won't do that if you aren't a living sacrifice. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And if you don't make yourself a living sacrifice, even if God does reveal his will to you, you'll blow the whole thing. So it's absolutely imperative that you follow the prescription in Romans 12, one and two, that you become a living sacrifice and then you renew your mind, change your heart and mind and way of thinking so it conforms to him. And then you do that and you will prove, make manifest to your physical senses, the good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God. It's impossible to keep from doing it. Awesome. You know, you need to learn at the expense of Moses and not have to learn everything by hard knocks. Amen. You know, I went through the school of hard knocks. And if you survive, it makes a great testimony. <laughs> but very few people survive. According to that stat, I was given only 4% of ministers ever survive. Amen. There's a better way, and that's to learn at the expense of somebody else. And that's the reason that, man, Moses' example has spoken volumes to me. It's kept me from making some of those same mistakes. Amen. You know, I know that there's some people, I had one person come up and say that this was the only service that they're going to make. So I'd like to ask again for our prayer ministers to come up here and we want to offer the opportunity for you to receive prayer. We prayed with lots of people last night, saw awesome things happen, but we don't want to take for granted and just let you go without somebody here to minister to you. If you don't know Jesus for certain, as your savior, we can pray with you and you can be born again. If you aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can come up here and every one of these people have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues and they operate in the supernatural and you can receive that same gift. If you need prayer for healing or for finances, if you're praying about wisdom, maybe God's speaking to you about Bible college and you just need somebody to agree with you, please come and let one of our people pray with you and agree with you, we would love to do it. Amen. Remember that we have a social for the distance learning correspondence people, whether you have already done it or are currently doing, or even if you want to do it, that's at what? Three, three thirty downstairs. Is it three or three thirty? Gary's checking. Three thirty in the second year. That's the fireplace that's right under that one downstairs. And uh, we'll be there. We'll be back at seven o'clock tonight. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. So if you need prayer, come forward. Let somebody minister to you. The rest of you, God bless you. We'll see you this afternoon or tonight. You're dismissed.